excited about what the Lord has in store for all of us, what he's going to do in the word and also in our worship. I am beginning what will span across March and April, a seven-part series looking at um, First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, called Letters to Leaders, these two gentlemen that were co-workers of Paul. And by way of starting, I'd like to kind of take you to some of the introduction to who these two gentlemen are, uh, and not assume that you know who they are, um, but that you're aware, and so and understand what the letters were about and what their focus is. And so, if you look at First Timothy chapter one and uh, beginning one and two, you'll find that the first letter he says Paul writes and says this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son, in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. And so the intended audience, this is a different letter. Paul's letters typically are written to churches, to whole groups of people. And here is one of uh, the few exceptions in which he's writing to an individual. And then again, just by way of, of comprehensiveness, if you look at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Again, Paul says this letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Now one of the things that we could very easily make the mistake is to consider that this letter is not about us. It doesn't have to do with us because this is being written to Timothy, a biblical character, someone who has become the son in the Lord to Paul and a leader. But it's important for us, and if you're familiar with this story, to be aware that Timothy was not always all of that. If you look at Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 1, the scriptures tell us that Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. We know from another letter and from, from the letters of Timothy to Timothy from Paul that his grandmother was involved in the picture. So needless to say, something went wrong. Something happened between grandma and mom that mom ended up being married to a father who was a Greek. But despite that, despite whatever is in that backstory, Timothy, this young disciple, was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. So there's a whole lot of backstory here in Timothy's story. Timothy was not always a shoe-in. He was not always assumed to be what he ultimately was to become. And some of you may remember several weeks ago, I believe this was the passage that Desi drew upon in pointing out that leadership uh, and those who are involved in missions is not always apparent. Time unfolds some things. And so this is who Timothy is. And then we find also a further information in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, where Paul says, I must go on to Rome, and he sent 
his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. And then Timothy even comes to be very important in recognizing, and you may not have realized this, that the letter from Paul to the Philippian church was in fact a letter from Paul and Timothy. And I know we skate right over that real fast, but what was Timothy's role in this letter within its thought? Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. And so if you, if you follow from Acts 16, where Timothy is first introduced to us narratively as a young disciple, one whose family background was not quite what it needed to be, and, and who, frankly, I'm not sure why Paul did it, but Paul circumcised him. This seems somewhat inconsistent with later stances on the part of the Apostle Paul to the end here in Acts 19 of being along with Erastus, his co-laborers, his fellow laborers in Philippians 1, writing a letter to that church in Philippi from both Paul and Timothy. It would be easy for us to assume that Timothy and the two letters written to Timothy is in a league different than us. It doesn't have anything to do with us. And you could assume the same thing with Titus. Let me give you a brief introduction to Titus very quickly so we have everything into place. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message which he announced to everyone, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. So you see the similarity, the same kind of language, a son in the Lord, and a prayer for, for grace and for peace upon these fellow laborers. We run into Titus in a number of different epistles of Paul. We don't see him so much in Acts, but we see him in Galatians chapter 2, one of the earliest letters of Paul in which we're told of his first encounter and with circumcision. This one turned out different than it did for Timothy. Or Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 14 years later, Paul says... I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church, and I shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And these leaders supported me did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So Timothy is half Gentile, half Jew. Titus is full Gentile. Timothy, Paul seems to require circumcision of him, perhaps because he was half Jew. Titus, on the other hand, he refuses to demand circumcision of. But you see that Titus is very much in a minor role here. 
But that doesn't stay the same because as Paul deals with that contentious church at Corinth, that one that he had to write two very large letters to with lots of correction, you're going to see Titus playing a very different role. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 through 15 says, we've been greatly encouraged by this. So Paul's had all the correction of the first letter. And now in the second one, things have gotten a little bit better. He says, we've been greatly encouraged in addition to our own encouragement we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all you welcomed him, set his mind at ease. I had told him how proud uh, I was of you and you didn't disappoint me. I've always told you the truth and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he, Titus, cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with, su with such fear and deep respect. So clearly there's some backstory here in which Titus operates in the environment of this very contentious church and they treated him with respect, with obedience. He seems to have stepped into a different role than we see in Galatians chapter 2. And this is borne out further a little bit later in the letter, verses 16 and 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in which Paul is wrapping things up and he says, but thank God he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. And so you see in both of these scenarios, and I could give you other passages of scripture, that Timothy and Titus, sons in the Lord, one half Jew, half Gentile, required to be circumcised as a young disciple by Paul, Titus, not required to be circumcised, a Gentile. These two men, along with many others, but these two men, both described in their letters by Paul as sons in God, sons in the Lord, play these pivotal roles, these, these roles of leadership, that they have gone to various cities and churches. They are emissaries of Paul and in fact have exercised, in Titus' case, authority such that Paul commends how excited Titus is about the Corinthian church because they were obedient, which frankly, reading the first letter is quite an improvement. The Corinthian church is anything but what I would call obedient. They've, they've got problems, they've got issues, there's a lot of contention going on in their midst. And so these three epistles, these letters to leaders, we could very easily narrow them because of who they're written to and because of, the, of who these leaders have become, who these individuals of Timothy and Titus have become, we could narrow that they're only speaking. What is written in these letters is only speaking to church leaders, such as pastors or bishops or deacons, which all of them are addressed in these letters. However, we need to be careful because that carries with it an assumption that is wrong about leadership. Because all Christians are leaders and are called to represent Christ to the world. Let me remind you of a passage that I'm sure that you are familiar with. You may not know the reference, but you'll recognize the context. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. This is the responsibility of every single Christian to be an ambassador of Christ, to walk in a world 
with an authority that frankly is greater than any other leadership authority possible. Christ has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. We represent him. We stand in his stead. The world does not see him, it sees us. All Christians are called to holy lives. All Christians are given specific gifts to glorify God and to edify the church. All Christians have influence in the world and we are his ambassadors. Every single one of you within the sound of my voice, you are Christ's ambassadors. So the priority of Christian leadership cannot be narrowed to just specific roles in the church. That is the first mistake that is made when we try to bring into the church the ways of the world. Everyone is expected by Christ to lead. I want to play a video by a man named Ken Blanchard. He's the author of those of you that read business type things. He's the author of The One Minute Manager. You may have heard of that. I want you to listen to even what someone, I don't know that he's got a godly background. I don't know that he's got a Christian background. He may have some of those roots. But this is somebody that is dealing with corporate environment. This is somebody that's talking about leading in a corporate environment, not in a church environment, not in Christ's environment. Listen to what he says in this very short clip about leadership. You know, I'm always fascinated when I'm working with groups of managers from companies one of the things I do early on is I say, how many of you think you are leaders? Uh, raise your hand. And I'm always blown away because only about 20% will put their hand up. And yet they all are managers. Uh, and I think people think that leadership is about a position. And I don't have a high enough position to say that I'm a leader. The next thing I ask them, though, is who impacted your life the most? One or two people. Think about it. If you're going to say, wow, they really had a difference in my lives, think about that. And then I ask them, how many of you mentioned a manager or supervisor? Hardly anybody. They mentioned their mother, their father, grandfather, grandmother, a neighbor, a friend, a coach. See, there are two kinds of leadership. One is some people have organizational leadership positions, which is legitimate, but we all have life role leaderships with people we interact with out in the real world. So remember, you're a leader wherever you go. And the important question is, what are you doing to have a positive influence on them as you interact with them? And that's, and that's, the, and that's the danger. Because we read these letters to leaders and we sense that they were leaders. We put them in a pedestal. We put them on a particular spot. And suddenly they're not as relevant to us. They're only got to do with people who hold organizational leadership positions. They've, they've got to be bishops or deacons. They've got to have a particular role. They've got to be like Timothy or they've got to be like Titus. But here's the problem. When the holiness of Christ and the truths of the Bible are only placed on leadership, when they're only placed on people who we feel have the office, a two-tiered form of spirituality begins to develop. We begin to have something that's more akin to the medieval church where monks and priests and nuns and bishops are the leaders in the church and everybody else 
is not on the altar. Everybody else is in the pew. Not only were they church leaders, but if you keep that system going, what happens is, is if you want to really grow spiritually, it means that you then have to leave the normal world of laity. You have to leave the normal world of life going on, and you have to find a way to become out of that area and become one of the holy ones, one of the special ones. And if you let that go long enough, just as it did then, there will become a harsh separation between the sacred ones, between the world of the monks and the priests and the secular world of everyone else, which means you're going to have two different systems of how you live, and there's that for them, and then there's this for us. And this is problematic. Now, lest we sit here and go, well, we're not Catholic. That isn't a problem. We Pentecostals have even fallen prey to this notion with concepts that I'm not going to unpack tonight, such as the ministry having to be held to a higher standard and differentiation between the pew and platform standards. Both of those languages are problematic because what they do is they create, whether we intended them or not, they create a differentiation between there and here. Can I break some news to you? Much more essential to the gospel of Jesus Christ is there, not here. If you're not being ambassadors, if you're not exerting influence, there is no point for here. In fact, the more that a church grows and needs pastoral leadership that becomes full-time, the more insular I become and people like me, the more cut off from that world we become, not because we've set ourselves up to a separate standard, but because the work takes us out of the world. So you become all the more essential. You become all the more important because I don't have anybody to preach the gospel to if you haven't first preached the gospel to them if you haven't gone and been ambassadors to them. So what is that going to look like? How is that going to work? This is what we've got to look at. Obviously, the Reformation, which we are ancestors of, or excuse me, yeah, ancestors of, the Reformation rightly changed that medieval model by stressing the priesthood of all believers. We are called as Christians to the same standard of Christ. Period. I get the same amount of grace as you get, and I'm called to the same righteousness that you're called to. I get the same forgiveness that you get, and we're called to the same standard of holiness. All of us are called to it. The highest calling in Christ is not to your role or your function within the body. It is to your state of being as a son or a daughter of God, as a Christian. This is what you're called to. And leadership, as Christ defines it, is incumbent, it's necessary, it is mandatory upon all of us. See, here's the problem. When it comes to leadership, we sometimes are happy to have somebody else be the leader. Now, there's some of you that are very motivated and you're interested in how do I get up there? How do I get that office? How do I get that position? And you're looking at the accolades and you're looking at the, the handshakes and you're looking at all of those kinds of things. But others of you are a little smarter. 
Some of you are like, uh-uh. I'm not interested in dealing with any of that. Some of you have gotten to the vantage point and realized that there's some harsh times and there's some rough moments, and you're like, mm-mm, that's, that's, your, that's yours to deal with, preacher. We're happy to rub our hands and say, God bless you. My father has even jokingly said in the last few years, glad you're the pastor now. So there's that, that attitude and that, and that feeling of, hey, I don't want to deal with that responsibility. Hey, that's, that's, that's above my pay grade. Tracking with me? But here's the problem. You're mistaking types of leadership. Christ has called all of us to lead. Now, some of you might say, but I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to take the responsibility of leadership. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you want. As soon as Christ calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light, you have immediately become a leader. You're his ambassador. You carry with you the authority of his name. His spirit resides inside of you. The word of the gospel is present within you. Everyone is a leader in one way or another, whether you work or a family or hobbies, coaches are leaders, teachers are leaders, managers are leaders, parents are ultimate leaders. If you don't lead your children, somebody will. And all of these, you are called to be an ambassador of Christ. Every single one of these, you're called to be an ambassador of Christ. Parents, you're training your kids in what it means to be human, what it means to live a good life, what it means to believe in God, what it means to practice ethical living. You're the ones who train them. And I got bad news for you. If you expect the church to do it in your place, we will fail and so will you. The only way it works is for you to step up. The question isn't, are you a leader? The question is, where are you a leader? The question tonight is not whether you are a leader. The question is, where are you a leader? Now, in Titus, we find, and I'm going to turn you there in just a moment, Titus chapter 2, in the first eight verses, we find Paul speaking to Titus about the importance of generations giving back to other generations by helping one another. And that this is a form of leadership that is to be encouraged. But it's done so in the context of one generation leading another by their lifestyle. Let me take you to Titus chapter, one, chapter 2 and verse number 1. As for you, Titus, Paul writes, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. I could sit there for quite some time, but my clock is ticking right now, so I need to keep moving there. But promote wholesome living that reflects, excuse me, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teaching is not meant to just tickle your ears. It's meant to change how you live. Teaching is meant to affect how you operate. And it's that kind of living that makes your leadership impact. See, if you think of leadership as a name on a door or a title, I know that Rosh and I have an ongoing, oh, he's out, so I'm going to abuse him while he's not here. <laughs> Got the baby. Rosh and I have an ongoing joke. He and Desi will be up counting money, and Rosh will say, so, pastor, what's my new title? I'll say, you don't need a title. He's like, oh, but I need a title. I want a title. 
Now, Rosh is being his normal facetious self, but let's be honest. All of us, when we're honest, are honored by a title. Some of you have even made that mistake on the job. They call you in, give you a new title, and don't change your pay, and you feel good about it. Now, some of you have gotten wise about that. I know Lil used to say, nah, don't give me a title, show me the money. I guarantee you that's come out of experience of having gotten a title and no money and going, wait a minute, what did that do for me? Can I break some news to you? God's not interested in a title greater than you as Christian. He's really not. And this is essential because if one generation is going to lead the next, in order for it to actually succeed, it means that generation that once led the generation will have to also be able to follow the generation they led. If you're fixated on title, you ain't going to do that. Because that will become your identity. There will come a day where I must step down. Because I will have led to the place of my incompetence. I will have taken us to the place that I can no longer go further. But if I've done the job correctly, others will have been led by me, and they then will step into places that I can no longer take this church. We joke about our children choosing our nursing home. But the reality is, you live long enough, you better have raised your kids so you can trust them. Because if you can't trust them, you don't have anybody to trust. God set you up. That baby that you wiped his butt. That little girl that you fussed and fixed her hair. They will become more competent than you. If your title as papa or mama becomes too important to you, you are literally going to cut your own nose off to spite your face. Parents, hear me tonight. I didn't plan to put this in here, but let me just put it in here. You need to grow your children to adulthood. You don't want them staying home. You don't want them under your thumb. You don't want them being acquiescing to you. You want them to become full-functioning adults that have the ability to look at you when you're being dumb and stupid and say, cut it out. Because if you live long enough, you're going to be dumb and stupid. <laughs> Something's going to get ahead of you. Something's going to get beyond your skill. Raise them so that they can guard you. Raise them so they can care for you. You must raise the next generation. Without the next generation, whatever you've stood for and whatever you are ceases to be. We have to start all over again. That's not efficient. So Titus chapter 2, Paul says, make sure you're promoting the living that reflects wholesome teaching. And then the specifics of this, he says, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. These older men must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I'm not finding that patience comes automatically. So it sounds like I'm going to have to be intentional about this. I'm going to have to work on this because I'm not getting more patient. I'm losing patience. 
Okay? Just we're being transparent here, right? Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Ladies, I don't know about you, but after you live for a while, that dude that was all hot stuff ain't so hot. Watch your mouth and watch your tongue, how you speak of your husband or your spouse. The next generation's watching and listening. Now, what, what do you notice about the examples that are going on here in Titus? Do you see any offices here? I don't see offices here. What do I see? I see life. I see old men and old women. I see young men and young women. I see life going on. And Paul doesn't, he don't want to leave anybody out, so he moves on. He says, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. I'm sorry, I skipped verse 6. Take me back. Whoever's up may be, I skipped verse 6. Verse 6, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example. So I'm assuming that Titus is a young man at this point. That seems to be the implication. You must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do. Not everything you are, not the office you fill, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Why are they going to have nothing bad? Because they're going to be looking at our life. They're going to be looking at how we're living. They're not just going to be listening to what we're preaching. They're not just going to be seeing us in an office or a position. No, instead what they're going to be doing is they're going to be watching us as we live. What Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 describes is older men and women mentoring and influencing the younger generation. And each generation must hand on the leadership and influence of the kind of living that Paul says reflects wholesome teaching. The key is, is that you've got to live that way. You've got to hand it on. Excuse me, you've got to live that way. You've got to teach it, and you've got to hand it on. If you don't hand it on, it dies with you. Paul instructs Timothy in the last verse I'm going to bring to you tonight, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. So one generation taught the younger generation. Paul's clearly older. Timothy's a young disciple, even perhaps a lad, a boy. Over the years, he's now writing, he says, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people. But here's the key. It's not just teach them to other trustworthy people. Teach them to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is leadership. This is leadership. Not your office. Not your position but your ability to take what you have learned, what has been passed on to you, and pass it on to others who themselves are able to pass it on.
to others. It is not good enough that I have had good teaching and good wholesome living passed on to me. It's also not good enough that I have taken that good wholesome living and that good sound teaching and passed it on to another generation. No, no, no. I've got to pass it on to that next generation in such a way that they understand that they must also pass it on. This is leadership. This is what Paul is concerned with. Not with Timothy who becomes, as history says, perhaps the, the bishop of Ephesus. And, and not with Titus and, and his authority and his power and his, the obedience that was given to him by the Corinthians. No, those are, they're side gigs. They're not central. They're not what's most important. What's most important is that by your lifestyle, others can watch you. And you never know who's watching you. You never know who's watching you. But you've got to live that wholesome living in such a way that then that teaching comes out of you. People ask you, Peter said, of the hope that is in you. They ask you because of your lifestyle. Again, this is not about a position. This is not about a title. This is about a lifestyle. And all of us have, called to, have been called to be Christians. All of us have been called to serve. I'll close with this. Namely, Jesus said, in the world, leadership is about authority. The ability to say, go and do this, come and do that. And let's be honest. We all like to tell people what to do. My wife would disagree. She said, I don't like telling anybody what to do. But the problem is, is she sure does a great job telling me what to do. <laughs> so, madame, even you like to tell people what to do. Now, we all like to tell people what to do. We do. And there may even be a role in the body of Christ in which you end up having to tell people what to do. And you're going to find out it's not all that fun all the time. But that's not leadership. Paul's not concerned with that. Paul is concerned with, are you living a lifestyle, Titus? That's a good example of the teaching I passed on to you. Timothy, are you taking what I have modeled for you as you walked through life with me, as you were sent and called back to me? Are you modeling and passing on to the next generation who themselves can pass on this lifestyle, this influence. Because this gospel has been planted into the hearts and minds of human beings. God didn't deposit it in a rock. He didn't put it on some sacred text. He didn't download it from heaven. He stuck it in us. And he calls us to be his ambassadors. People who walk with absolute authority representing the king of kings. Well, that's, Regina, if you'd come and the orchestra, if you'd make your way. Well, that's, that's, that's the job of the preacher. No, 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 it's not. I may have some jobs because I'm the pastor. That's not what we're talking about tonight. 
I may have some things I've got to do because I happen to be a preacher of the gospel, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. Our common assignment is to live a life that demonstrates the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of God, and by so doing, lead the world to salvation. The question is not whether you're a leader. The question is, where are you a leader? What is it? Where is it that you exert that influence? And it's essential that you get a hold of that. It's essential that this church get a hold of it in this season. Because we will rise and fall not on my preaching ability. We're going to rise and fall on your leadership ability. Some of you might go, oh, we're in trouble. The good news is, is God equips those who make themselves available. Remember who Timothy was. A mixed up kid, a half breed. Remember who Titus was. Gulping as the council at Jerusalem wants to circumcise him and Paul says no. No, no, no. You don't start out knowing exactly what to do. But every step of the way as you live your life, your broken life, your messed up life, as you live that out, that is how you will then lead folks to salvation. Let's stand.